Friday. Welcome back to another episode of the Best Minutes Podcast. Each week, Movies by Minutes hosts are examining the 1946 William Wyler-directed film, The Best Years of Our Lives, one minute of screen time per episode. I'm your host, Alan Sanders. I am your co-host, Walt Murray. And the two of us have been with you for the first 10 minutes of this wonderful Academy Award-winning film shot about folks coming home after World War II. And before we start, I want to remind everybody once again, starting next week, a new team will take over. We had the first 10 minutes. Starting on Monday, you're going to be joined by the Rocketeer Minute. They've got the next 10 minutes of this movie. It'll be followed by then by the Indiana Jones Minute, two minutes of Terminator, the MASH Minute. Father David Mowry will be taking over for minutes 51 through 60 with guests as well. Then you've got the Point Break Minute, the Ghibli Minute, Apollo 13 Minute, Cock and Bull Minute, the Real Jaws Minute, Better Off Dead Minute, Full Durham Minute, Five Minutes of Bonsai, the Marine Corps Movie Minute, Deep Blue Sea Minute, and the film will wrap up nearly three hours of film discussion, all packed into about 300 hours. <laughs> yeah. Jay and Silent Bob Minute. Well, those are all good teams, and particularly the next few weeks, those are going to be uh, teams to listen to. Uh, the Rocketeer Minute, Indiana Jones, all those guys are just great. So. Uh, you definitely want to come back for that. And, you know, we've dropped the name Jim O'Kane a couple of times in the last two weeks. I did mention in the very first minute uh, where we had the had the duty of kind of kicking this off that he's sort of the grand poobah. He is the guy that came up with this idea of creating an annual project within the Movies by Minutes community where a bunch of different teams come together and take certain minutes of the movie. So that way a listener can turn around and kind of get a sense of all the different voices, all the different styles, all the different shows that are out there. And hopefully it'll drive interest to look at the Movies by Minutes website, which is moviesbyminutes.com, where so far, at least as of this recording, there were over 170 different shows that were or movies that were being cataloged and talked about within that community. That is really amazing. A lot of passion for movies in that group and a lot of very brilliant people doing some great work. Yeah, and and they run the gamut. Everything from the more academic, I've I've listened to some uh, some of them where it's uh, you know being talked by uh, film directors and film majors and people who teach in college to folks that are just aficionados and happen to have a love of the movie to best friends growing up, reliving and 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 just enjoying the magic of what it is to talk about a movie. I mean, Walt, it's like we used to be, at least this is how I was in school, especially in like middle and high school, at the lunch table, when you had that movie everybody just loved, you would just talk about the scenes and you would reenact the scenes or, or, or run through the lines. And you just grew up having these wonderful memories of these discussions about these movies. And that's what this medium is doing for, for our audience. Well, that's exactly right. And I'm, I'm kind of on that end of mostly just a fan of movies and uh, an aficionado of, of movies. I'm kind of that I like what I like kind of fan. But I have learned so much being a part of this community about everything from lighting to different types of film to, uh, you know, how film was shot in 1930 versus how it's shot now. Um, it, it really is an awesome, awesome group to be around. And uh, I'd say for those people who are, who are kind of thinking, you know, I've, I've wanted to do a podcast. I'm thinking about the movies by minute. Uh, Jim O'Kane's name came up. Uh, you are a great resource too. Uh, there's some other guys around who, um, guys like the Rocky minute and some others who would be more than happy 
to take some time to kind of explain what the whole thing's about, what kind of uh, expense you're obligating yourself to and uh, and time and, and energy, what goes into editing. So if this is something that interests you, definitely check out the Movies by Minutes page and then reach out to a couple of the folks that have done these um, podcasts and you'll know pretty quick whether you've got the right passion to do it or not because it is definitely time consuming, but it's a lot of fun. I mean, Walt, you and I did the exact same thing when we were talking about doing this when we launched now three and a half, well, I guess more than three years ago because we're at the start of our fourth season. You know, we didn't know a whole lot. We knew what we liked listening to, but we still asked a lot of questions and, oh, guess what? Got a lot of great, helpful answers. It wasn't about trade secrets and keeping it to ourselves and, oh, figure it out for yourself. It was, okay, here's what we've learned. Here's what not to do. You know, it was a great welcoming community. And the reason I bring Jim's name up is not only is he responsible for the the concept of this project, which this is the fourth collaborative project within the Movies by Minutes community, he's actually in charge over or was one of the voices of the Rocketeer Minute. So you're going to get a chance to hear Jim starting on Monday. That's right. And Jim has even helped organize a convention for the Movies by Minutes group every summer for what, the last three or four summers? Last couple that had to be put off last year, obviously, with COVID, but but we did a, uh, it was a virtual, a virtual one. one. Yeah, I loved doing that and getting to meet some of the people who I hadn't met before and then spend some time with uh, with people who I had been on their podcast or they'd been on ours or I had just talked to offline about different things. And um, and I've even <laughs> I've even gone to Father Mowry with a question before about um, a, a theological issue that I had. Um so it's it's a really, really cool group of people, and definitely a, uh, if you are looking for a place to start your podcast, you're not going to find a more supportive uh, group of people to do it with. Yeah, especially if you're thinking about breaking down a movie, even if you don't want to do it a minute at a time. There are, there are some groups that came through and said, you know what, I just want to do it a scene at a time, five minutes at a time. I mean, one of the groups that's going to be doing part of this project is called Five Minutes of Bonsai, where they look at five minutes of the movie at a time, keep it a little bit more manageable and be a little different. So, yeah. And then the group that's doing American Graffiti, they've just asked me to do a minute there or a um, an episode there where we're going song by song. So um, I've got uh, whatever song is in episode nine. So <laughs> can't remember. Uh, now. There you go. Oh, the that's hop. the preparedness that my partner brings. <laughs> yeah, Let's go to the hop. That's the, that's the one I, I, so I watched American graffiti again over the weekend. So it's really fun. If you're interested, definitely reach out. We'll convince you to do it and then you'll hate us. All right. We've done enough of the sales job for uh, this Friday. Let's get into this minute as you and I are wrapping up. We're actually, I think this is that moment where you and I stretch things out because we, we realize this is it. And we feel like, well, this is it. I mean, it's it. <laughs> we yeah. want to get everything in. Yeah. And I think both of us have a lot of stuff that we want to talk about. Yeah. And, and a lot of it has to do with this movie, but <laughs> some of it doesn't. Um, well, let's get into it. All right. Where where we left yesterday was a pretty heavy minute yesterday. We were dealing with Homer recognizing the fact that he's going back home to his girl, to his family, but he recognizes, or at least he believes, he projects in his head that she's still just a kid. He's gone through a lot. and things may not be hunky-dory when he gets back home. And the very last line we had on Thursday was, she's never seen anything like these hooks. Mm. So let's start off right at the beginning here, because we're right in mid-conversation. We have one of those scenes where, for the last three or four minutes, it's all been one continuous scene. We're not moving from place to place. 
And we continue with Homer, who seems to decide, okay, you know what? Enough of the doldrums. I'm going to, I can't bring us all down. We're going home. Let's be positive. Let's be upbeat. He says, Say, what do I get home and tell the folks about this trip? I'm the first one in my family that ever rode in an aeroplane. And I like how he doesn't call it an airplane. Yeah. He calls it an aeroplane. He, he's got an interesting accent for Boone City, which, you know, we've said before is supposed to be Cincinnati. It does have a bit of a Bostonian uh, thing. As you say, he does it? not have an, a, a Midwestern accent. He's actually from Nova Scotia, or at least that's where he was born. But he he sounds more like a Bostonian than anything. Yeah, I I got sense of I, of certainly uh, northeastern, uh, you know, like uh, the the areas in and around uh, Boston or Connecticut, that area. Yeah, definitely. The way he says, like yeah, last minute, he goes, you know, I taught me how to drive a car. Uh, what was that line in uh, Jaws at the beginning? He goes. Uh, not too far from the car. Oh, yeah. <laughs> goes, How does I sound? It's like like you're from New York. And he's trying to sound like he's from Massachusetts. I kept expecting Homer to say, I can make chowder. Chowder. <laughs> uh, well, I, I think he's supposed to be Bostonian or somewhere in around that area. At least that's the accent he's putting on. But it doesn't sound like someone from Cincinnati. It does not. Not at all. But I do like him trying to shift the gears uh, and recognizing, okay, First of all, I think he feels weird that suddenly it's become all about him and that maybe he feels a little weird, not only bringing it down, but becoming the center of the conversation. And so even though he's still technically the center, he's basically turning it to, hey, wait till my folks get a load of this. They've, I'm the first one to have ever flown in a plane. Yeah, that is, uh, he, that is an interesting shift that he makes. And, and the other two guys pick up on it. They, they know that he's talked enough. And he's he's kind of done. And what I what I think is interesting is rather than this conversation continuing, it actually just goes to a dissolve. Here we go. We're going to get a couple of dissolves where the plane all of a sudden it's now, you know, flying over America. And it looks like shaky cam <laughs> as it's yeah. flying. Uh, definitely not very smooth. You get a very jerky but uh, point of point of view of where the camera is on the nose of the plane. And then we transition to nightfall over America. And now we're going over dotted landscape with lights and, and you can tell it's nighttime. And then all of a sudden it's this weird shot. And I, I hate this transition. I don't know why we don't just go back to the cockpit, but now we're like looking at a weird clouds. Is it sunny? Is it nightfall? Is it, it, it's, it's cloud cover, but it's, it's almost like stock footage. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like it fits. And I guess all we're supposed to do is just, the director wanted one more dissolve to show the passage of time. Right. And I can't remember if they said how long this flight was going to be, but he did say, oh, he said, you'll be home by tomorrow afternoon. Right. They said it would take a couple of hops. We have no idea how many hops they're on right now, but they, uh, they, they said uh, it would be the next day. What I don't understand is we get the transition from day to night. That's fine. Why the clouds? Why, why spend you know, seven or eight seconds showing us this generic, we, we don't see any land, we don't see any of America, we just see right. clouds. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Because if we transition from day to night, and then you look at the cloud scene, uh, is it like supposed to be dawn coming? Is it moon that's being reflected behind the clouds? Why are we suddenly in the clouds? We've been flying literally above the highway since the first time they made the comment above, I guess we're flying by map. Why are we suddenly 
you know, 20,000 feet up in the clouds or even 10,000 feet. Why are we suddenly in the clouds? Yeah, it's a really weird perspective. I don't like it. I, it. It bothers me because I can't, I mean, I can make up a reason that, uh, you know, these, these guys would rather be like, this is a, and I don't think it is, but you know, it's a projection of their inner psyche that they'd rather be living way up above everyone else where they don't have to deal with the problems of face to face. And as long as you're up here, it feels like you're far away, but, uh, no, I, I don't know. I don't, I guess it's just, I think the stock footage guy just threw some day, <laughs> a day scene in there and it happened to have clouds in it. My best guess is the director wanted it to feel as if a long time has happened since the conversation ends when we, when we dissolve. And so we see, a, we see the, the, the landscape during the day and that landscape with another dissolve shifts to night. But it's like, oh, it's got to come in threes. So let's do another dissolve. What can we dissolve to? Well, we can't dissolve today again. That's be boring. So let's dissolve to clouds. Is that a thing? It has to come in threes? There's a rule of threes in a lot of things where it comes to design, when it comes to lists, when it comes to answers. That three is one of those... Three is a perfect number. You know, don't you remember that from uh, Schoolhouse Rock? I guess I do, but I didn't know that that was true in editing. The triumvirate, the holy trinity, you know, the triangle, one of the strongest uh, shapes to hold weight. (laughs) Three is a big number. Yeah, I just didn't know that it applied to editing, something like that. I don't know if it applies to editing, but there's something about that I'm seeing this as like, okay, cut to one, cut to two, cut to three, now come back. (laughs) Okay, yeah, that's interesting. But I still, I still think that they should have had a more daylight, um, wide open kind of uh, shot instead of the clouds. Yeah, it feels weird because I think it's supposed to be night, but they had to brighten it to make you see the clouds, and they're pretty thick and covered, and yet you can see sky above the clouds. I mean, we're, I don't know, maybe I'm spending too much time on this moment. It just felt really weird. Like so far, everything to me has been really well done. The transitions have been really nice. I get why some of the dissolves are there. That's sort of the, the pattern of the day. This one to the clouds. Look, I'm going to say, I'm going to put it out right now. If you are a huge fan of this movie or you're an, maybe you're a, a cinema teacher or you're, you're a professor of what makes, you know, cinema art in some instances and what makes it, you know, folly in others, please join up on Butch's place on the Facebook page, join the listeners group. Tell us, what does this transition mean to you? Because all I got was, well, let's just do a lofty kind of image of just heavenly clouds and then come back to the guys uh, almost as if they've gone to sleep now. And so our thoughts are up in the clouds versus where they were uh, about making their way home. Yeah, I'd be interested to hear what people have to say because I don't see any significance to it myself. So let's go ahead and move in because now I've been curious about what was going to happen with the other two guys, because when we do dissolve back to inside the plane, we've got this weird shot. It's a two shot where the two actors are in the frame. Actually, it's technically three because Homer's really in the bottom, but our focus is really on the two main actors that are still awake, Fred and Al. And you, you get the sense they're both still looking out of the nose of the plane because of where the camera's set up. Al is just sitting there. He's not sleeping. He's looking out the plane. But he doesn't have the most pleasant expression. He's got a pained look on his face, like there's something really dwelling on him. Fred looks sort of, eh, I've been here before, kind of boring. I wish I could sleep, but I can't. So I'm just staring out the window. So before we get even to the dialogue, how do you see this 
this shot between these the two people who are still awake? Well, it, it's interesting. You you definitely thought a lot more about it than I did. But one of the things that I did think about are these are two seasoned combat veterans who also have some life experience under their belt. Where Homer, he didn't have that much combat, but he de- he definitely took the brunt of combat a lot worse than these two guys. And he doesn't have the life experience they have. So it's interesting that they start getting into um, this introspective conversation about how they felt when they shipped out. Yeah, I love this juxtaposition of their memories because now we're getting a little bit of a sense of what are they thinking about? Because Al, I mean, Fred says, hey, Al. And Al says, yeah. And then Fred asks, remember what it felt like when you went overseas? And Al, as well as I remember my own name. That's striking. That's, it made an indelible impression. They will never forget the day that they shipped out, that they were like, you're going to fight. The, the Nazis, or you're going to fight the Imperial Navy of Japan. You're going to fight for the freedom of the, of the world. You're going to fight evil. You're going to fight the Axis. Right. And that, that's got to be a heavy, heavy thing that you're thinking about, wondering, will I ever come back? What's it going to be like? Will I, will I do what I'm expected? Will, will, my, will my training work? I mean, every possible thing is going through your head as you're shipping out. And you also still have that some excitement of, Hey, we're going to do this awesome thing. We're going to save the world. And, you know, they literally are going to save the world. And so you have that sense of purpose and, um, along with all the the nervousness. And then of course, now they're coming back, they're wiped out. They've seen horrifying things. They have saved the world. And, now it's it is that totally opposite thing, and they're going to remember this feeling for the rest of their lives as well. Yeah. Well, before before we get to those those lines that actually do kind of turn it around, have you ever been in a situation where you knew the night before you were about to have a a really bad day at work? You knew there was that bad meeting coming, or maybe it was the day you were going to have to let half the team go, or you felt like, uh oh. They called a surprise meeting. I have a feeling they're going to let half the team go. Have you ever been in that situation? Maybe not war, obviously, but just as close as we can come to in our lives where you just knew something bad was coming? Oh, yeah, I have. I mean, I've been in business long enough, and I've been a manager in small business long enough that I've had those days where I knew I was coming in, and I knew that the the news to the team was not going to be good. and. um I've had those days twice, not, not good days. So hopefully I'll never have another one, but, uh, yeah, that, that's not any fun. How did it feel for you? I mean, like, how could you describe what was going on the 12 or 24 hours prior to that moment that you knew was coming? Absolute dread, just absolute dread, because you knew that there were people who you were going to have to tell that today's their last day. And a job that they've depended on, a job that they thought was going to be a long-term deal for them, and you're about to tell them, no, today is it. And one of those times, um, we had to lay off more than 20 people, and they had no idea it was coming. And it was just 
we had a, a client that went out of business and they owed us a bunch of money and we couldn't keep people around because they had been supporting that client and uh it was it was bad and we had to write checks that um you know on money that we had not been paid yet and so that kind of put us in a position too of we've got about 3 weeks to turn this around or we're going home with that same problem so it was tough it was terrible i mean i've never i've never had a day that bad in all my business life mm. and uh just a horrible horrible feeling knowing that you're going to have to let people go just you would have to be a complete sociopath to not feel terrible leading up to that yeah i remember the first time i ever had to let somebody go a person not not and, and here's the thing they had been given multiple times to correct their behavior, but it was the weirdest thing for me because it was a person who was my dad's age working for me. Oh. So it wasn't even letting somebody go that was my age or younger than me. Somebody, it was somebody who was just, they just didn't get it. They didn't get the processes. They kept making the same mistakes over and over. And you can't, you know, at, cert at a certain point, you got to cut your losses. And even though I knew, we were doing the right thing. And even though I knew I had followed through with HR, we had documented, we had tried to correct, we had put letters to file. I felt like I had done everything I was supposed to as a manager. I knew the night before this was going to happen that I was like, I'm going to have to call this guy into my office. And he, he was one of those guys that always had a smile on his face. He was a great guy. That's the problem. He was a great guy. Always got people laughing. Loved telling stories. He was just a likable guy. But as far as what he did, kept causing us problems. He kept causing us loss of revenue, loss of assets, uh, not following the process, uh, getting upper management going, what's happening down there? You know, those kind of calls. What's going on with your people? You know? Oh, those are the worst. And you're just like, oh. And you try to correct because you feel bad. You feel almost an obligation. Like, okay, what did I, did I maybe do something wrong in training you? Did I not pair you with the right person? So the night before, I started like imagining all the different scenarios. What if he nuts up? What if I say something wrong? What if HR decides at the last minute, no, we're going to give him another chance? I mean, and the word dread is a really good phrase. It feels like, you know that phrase, I don't know if you've, you're a fan of the Harry Potter movies, but when the Dementors show up and they say, it just sucked the joy out of everything, I never felt like I'd be happy again. Uh, yeah, that's kind of that moment. When I say dread, it feels like, how am I ever going to be happy again? It feels like I'm so miserable right now that I'm not going to be happy. <laughs> and, I, and, and I know I will be, but it hits you that hard the day before because you know it's coming. Well, I've actually had a couple of the people that we had to let go that day um, come back to me later. A couple of them found me on Facebook and they were like, Best thing that ever happened to me because <laughs> I didn't like what I was doing. I was hanging on because it was a job and I've gone out and found something I really enjoy. And uh, one of the guys was able to take stuff that he had learned directly on that job and apply it in another job and just is doing great. I mean, he has made a ton of money. He loves what he does. He's running his own business now. So it really worked out great for him. And um, so you have to kind of keep that perspective too, that there is someone working on a higher level than me that is, uh, 
you know, knows what's going on better than I do. And uh, it just works out uh, a lot of times. But I did have one guy that I did not dread firing. And it's the <laughs> only guy that I did not dread firing. And he was, he, we had had the talk a couple of times. And one of the other managers had had the talk with him. And I walked in one day with three things to talk to him about that he had screwed up again. And when I walked in, he was playing fantasy football on his computer. And I said, we need to talk real quick. I said, how do you think you're picking stuff up? Oh, I think I'm doing great. And he's going into all these things. I said, well, let me stop you there. You're not doing great. (laughs) And today's your last day. I was kind of hoping he'd at least say, yeah, I'm really not getting it. And I don't really like it, but. Uh, he didn't, and we had to go the other way. I'm having a blast. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, you're having a blast because you're playing fantasy football. You're talking to your buddies on the phone all the time. Man, this is um, great. Your internet speed's so fast, I can online yeah. game. <laughs> well, that's exactly what he was doing. And he wasn't married. He didn't have any kids. He didn't, you know, this was not important to him. And so it was like. Okay, see you later. And he, on the way out of the door, he was like, man, I really loved it here. If you ever have anything else that might be a better fit for me, let me know. I was like, this guy is clueless. But (laughs) um, that was the only time I've ever not dreaded it. And we were really trying to rehab him. But at that point, it was like, now we're done. We're we're done here. The only reason why I wanted to go down that path a little bit is I think that's the closest any of us, unless you've been in their situation, can come to to understand what must be going through their minds right now. Because as you indicated, when Albert had said, as well as I remember my own name, Fred then turns around and says, I feel the same way now. And then adds, Only more so. But think about the dread you felt about the day you had to go in and fire people. You'll never forget that. And these guys are saying, I remember what I felt like when we shipped out and now I feel the same thing only more. Yeah. Think about what that's saying. We're going home to family, to wives and parents and children and, and, and the community and Fred, our, 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 our guy who didn't get upset with the, the businessman who kind of butted his way in for his golf clubs to go fly. The guy who was okay sitting down, waiting it for the, the military version of the airline to try to find a spot for him the guy that had no problem hopping on a B-17 with a couple of hops just to be able to get home, suddenly it's night, which means they're landing, they're coming home tomorrow, and he's sitting there going, oh, I don't know if I'm ready for this. Yeah. I mean, here's the guy that we were like, didn't get upset, didn't use his rank, didn't toss it around, didn't show any anger to anybody, didn't show like he had any problems, and here he is all of a sudden admitting to Al I'm having a real hard time thinking about what it's going to be like tomorrow. Well, it, in some ways, I think it's kind of like we were talking about earlier that they there's a comfort in being in the military and doing those things every day. And um, I, I think that, you know, the Foo Fighters have that song, Miss the Misery, and they're talking about being in a really crappy relationship. But when that relationship's over, it's like, man, I still kind of miss the the misery of being in that relationship because at least I was in a relationship, you know, that kind of thing. And Mm -hmm. so there's probably a little bit of that too, that the devil I know is at least the devil I know. I don't know what I'm coming home to. Yeah. And, you know, and I think too, you know, do I have a job waiting on me? 
am I going to be able to make that adjustment? You know, is my family still going to be there for me? Uh, my kids are four years older. My wife is four years older. And she, for four years, has raised them by herself. And now I'm coming home. And I got to figure out how to fit in. I'm the odd man out here. It's just incredible to me to try to put my mind around because, you know, in movies, it happens in the space of a dissolve or, a, you know, a scene. But in real life, time doesn't stop. Time stops for no man. Right. And you have to wonder how. And, and I know we're not, I don't want to make it so maudlin. Obviously, thousands and thousands of people came home and they were able to get on with their lives and they became part of that greatest generation that we still think of fondly today and, and deservedly so. But I also think sometimes we may gloss over that veneer, that, that same feeling I told you about last week when we first started this, that my preconceived notions are being shattered when I watch this movie. Well, not to get down another rabbit trail, but do you think that it's easier to come home as a single person and start your life on your own? Or do you think it's easier coming home to your family, to your wife and kids? I don't know. Like, I will tell you this. If it was, if I had just gotten married or if I was at the very start, it'd probably be harder knowing what I know now as an adult. I think having had a marriage for, for several you know decades, having children, I feel like we could weather the sort of storm that I'd be going through if I had to go away for a few years in combat or for whatever. I mean, the wife and I have had this conversation today. I mean, we were like, hey, you know, if an opportunity came up and you had to go to a different city, you know, we might have to live apart for a while because our youngest, even though she's out of the house, she, she is in college and one of us needs to stay a little closer to home. And I said, "Are you? would you be okay with that? She goes, well, we could figure a way to maybe stay in touch and fly every other weekend or something. But yeah, we're both at a point where we got to do what's right for the family and we'd be okay with it. Right. So age and wisdom sometimes plays a factor in that answer. Of course, I might be giving a Pollyanna answer thinking, oh, yeah, my wife will be just fine. You know, you have no idea. Maybe she's like, Jesus, get away from me because I'm ready to go find somebody else. You know, I don't know. Well, I was going to say, she. I've noticed she has applied for a lot of jobs for you all over the country. <laughs> Just as she yeah. opened up a dating profile. Wait, what? <laughs> You're the new morning man in Manila. <laughs> yeah, not even in this country. <laughs> You're on the exact opposite side of the world, buddy. <laughs> yes, a 12 hour difference. Don't call me when your shift's over. I will already be in bed. Well, I don't know how old Fred is in this movie. I'm guessing probably. 40-ish. He's got to be in his 40s. I think he's got like, yeah. was he had, he's got the service stripes we saw. And I didn't mention it yeah. before, but I think he's got six, that's six service stripes. So that's four years of stripe. Is that what it is? So it's 24 years uh, in service, yeah. maybe. Wow. That's right. That's right. So, you know, so, if, if he went in at 18 or maybe went in out of college, he was 22 and he's got another 24 years, he's in his mid 40s. So he's not a whole lot younger than, than he's closer to your age than mine, but He's now got to make a career transition. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. He's not mentioned once what he did before the war. Right. So we have no idea what he's transitioning into. Right. He must have had an aptitude for flight or at least be part of a bomber squadron to be given a bombardier role. But we don't know what he did. Yeah, because you actually take over the plane to drop the bombs. You fly the plane for several minutes to, to drop the bombs. So... um yeah, so he's coming home to kind of some unknowns, too, that he's going to have to go make that transition from Army life to civilian life. 
I mean, Al is too. I mean, Al is saying, yeah. I feel the same way. Yep. Because Al says, I know what you mean. When Fred says, you know, I feel the same way about, uh, when I shipped out, only more so. And then Fred tries to, to throw it off. And I looked up this phrase to see if it existed, and I, and I couldn't find it except for a film course at a university in Texas that taught uh, World War II films and, and what they meant in terms of... Tr- and it was, I'll just say it was couched in a way of an era where men were being thought of as uh, overly brave, and it was basically about the, the machoism of the World War II generation. Right. They, I, I couldn't find any other rep- reference to this phrase, where he says, just nervous out of the service, I guess. Yeah, I, I read that that same article, I think, and it kind of came across to me as a little bit too modern PC uh, to give a good explanation. Right, I think that's just how they were describing the course about all these different people that were trying to get, you know, all these military movies, but I was waiting to see if this was a particular phrase or... Is this something that a lot of people say in the military when they're when they're transitioning out? Right, and that's the only place I, I found a reference to it. And so I don't know if it's just a, a maybe a catchphrase that was written for the book or whatever, or maybe it's just something that wasn't talked about. It just I mean I, I found you know phrases for nervous in the service. I, I was the same way. I, I found several of those. And <laughs> a lot of people are like, what have I done? <laughs> yeah, well, I know a lot I, of people that first day in boot camp going, oh hell, oh, yeah. they lied to me. Yep. <laughs> My friend Bill has a funny story about that. He he was an Air Force guy, and he was um, from I can't remember where Bill was originally from, but it was somewhere with a, with a kind of a colder climate. And he did his uh, Air Force basic in the desert in Texas. And he Whoa. said he gets there, and they get off the bus, and they're like, "All right, put your bags down." Wait, why'd you put your bags down? And they're like, "Oh, they're scrambling to pick their bags up," and they're like, "They're like, oh." Uh, Mr. Watkins, why did you bring a jacket? You better put that on if you're getting cold. And so he's standing out there in 400 degree weather, putting his jacket on. And he's like, I've made a huge mistake. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, he said that that was the only day that he felt that he had made a mistake though, but he did have that nervous in the service feeling. And I'm wondering if Fred isn't taking off of that line, off of that um, nervous in the service and flipping it around to nervous out of the service. Could be. Because I gotta, I gotta share with you my first day uh, boot camp. Because, and I think this is on purpose. Now, at the time, I thought, "What is going on?" You know, we our bus was late picking us up from the airport, and then it we got to the the receiving area, and it just took forever to get issued a bag and and, and our clothes and everything that we were supposed to get before we were supposed to get to our barracks. We then were all of a sudden uh, grouped off because you know hundreds and hundreds of people come in at the same time. So it was close to one o'clock in the morning. When we finally are, are marched, and I call it marched in the sense we were all grouped together. I don't think anybody had any clue what marching was at that point. Right. And we get put into this big giant barracks. We get assigned a, a, a bunk, and then it's like 1 o'clock in the morning. And they said, all right, get some sleep. You're going to get up tomorrow. We're going to start your day. I swear to God, by 2 o'clock in the morning, we were finally getting settled. An hour later... Dude comes in with a trash can and banging it going, all right, gentlemen, up on the line. Everyone's like, whoa, whoa, what? <laughs> it's like, on the line. And we're all looking around. There's no painted line. What the hell's the line? Well, they met a particular crack in the linoleum, like, uh, or the tiling. Like, they just had, you just had to make up as long as you all picked the same line to be on. And everyone's like, and they're disoriented, and nobody knew what was going on. And it was just like, 
yeah. oh, I have made a horrible mistake. <laughs> yeah, that would do it. <laughs> that would definitely But you know, it. it's a shock to your system, but the, the people that can deal with it and move on are much more suited for that lifestyle. A lot of people couldn't get over even that first day. It's amazing the number of people, and of course it's changed a little bit. We are an all-volunteer service, but the number of people who just wash out in basic training, and is isn't, I mean, basic training isn't exactly, a, you know, fun. It's not like camp. But at the same time, it's not war either. Right, right. But I think you're right. I think there are a lot of people that just realize that they can't hack it. It's not for them. They're not, you know, whatever it is, tough enough, brave enough, you name it. Um, there's something that um, they just don't have that they need, and they know that. It just doesn't click. Yes. And... um and two, I mean, it makes a difference, I would guess, whether we're at war or in peace of what kind of soldier they're looking for. Right. And, um, but yeah, it, it was never meant to be easy. And it's a lot less glamorous than I think people think it is sometimes. Now, on the flip side, having been raised in a military family, the hardest thing I had to deal with, uh, sleep deprivation was the toughest. And actually, I'm kind of glad because now I live by that motto. but. When I saw what was happening and I'm recognized, I was like, okay, I know what's going on. I had to stop from like smirking because I knew I didn't need to draw that kind of attention. <laughs> so half the time I was like, okay, don't, don't, don't make a move. Just stare straight ahead, pretend. And I remember talking to the guys as we were getting ready to graduate from boot camp that said, I remember with like that first week, I'd look over across at you and you were like, you were rock solid. You weren't moving. You were just staring straight ahead. I'm like, yep, because I knew if I did anything else, I'd crack, I'd laugh, I'd get, and I would get my ass handed to me. That's all I knew. It's like, okay, I may know the psychological game being played, but I don't want them to know I know because then it'd just make my whole my life a whole lot more miserable. See, I, I think that would be the hardest thing for me is just not being a wise ass and keeping my composure. Mm-hmm. So I think that scene, it's not my boot camp wasn't as close, but if you've ever seen Full Metal Jacket, I think we were that last generation, or I say generation, we were within the last decade when things were starting to soften up in boot camp, which I think is actually a horrible mistake. But my we had two CCs, company commanders, and because I was trained in Orlando, it was the only um it was the only base that was that trained both males and females. It was a co ed base. And so to help be more co-ed mindful, because a lot of sailors on ships were going to be co-mingling because, you know, when you're on a ship, there's lots of different jobs for a lot of different people. And so you're going to be with females and males all working in close proximity. So they wanted to start getting used to that idea. And so I had a female CC as well as a male. So it was a partnership. And I didn't know this at the time, but she was just out of a really horrible relationship where she was a newly left alone single mom. She enjoyed having her moments of boot camp with all these guys. It was very much like that scene in, in Full Metal Jacket where it was just like ripping people up one side and down the other, oh, screaming yeah, them at the, in their face. I mean, and like I said, I just had to stop from laughing because I'm like, oh, my God, I know what's going on. But I still don't laugh. Don't break. Don't keep that military bearing. <laughs> but uh, it was if, if folks who are listening have never watched that movie the first 15 minutes. That was a true boot camp. I mean, Arlie Ermey was a true boot camp instructor. He was a, he was a former Marine. And I remember he was brought on to be a, an advisor 
to Stanley Kubrick, and they had hired an actor to do the part, and he was trying to help this other actor, and finally, I think Arlie Ermey went to him and said, you know, I could do this. And he's like, okay, well, you know what? Why not? <laughs> and so a lot of his lines were all improv from his previous work as a true drill instructor. So that wasn't just you know hyperbole. That wasn't hyped to make it look. That was for real. That was how drill instructors at a period of time, they're not like that now. I say, unfortunately, because I mean that. I think you need that. I think there has to be that sense of toughness and that sense of breaking you down to, to the to the your lowest and, and, and maybe even your smallest common denominator to then build you back up. Um, I am, I'm a firm believer in the military way of trying to do that. And, you know, even though I'm a contrarian in at heart and I have a hard time just following orders blindly, I understand what that purpose is. And I thought Arlie Ermey was fantastic doing that in, in full metal jacket because it was pretty close to what my boot camp was like. Well, you know, we talked about last week, how, when those guys were shipping off to war, they were button up. They would, you know, you would be um, gung ho and crisp. Yes. And, and you have that uniformity within the military life that these guys that we're seeing now don't have that. They, they're on the way home. They've fought the war. They, you know, they're kind of on the other end of that. But, for those guys that are going out, you have to have that uniformity and that um, that sameness and that routine that everybody knows and understands in the military in order to survive, in order to be successful, to, uh, you know, to break things and win wars. So uh, it, it is a, a very unique life, however long people in the military live it. Uh, and it sure does um, make you a different person when you come home. That's for sure. I'm wondering if some of that dread, some of that sense of being nervous out of the service is a result of not having that uniformity, that comfort of everything's all orderly. Now it feels a little chaotic because it's not orderly anymore. Did you feel that when you, um, when you came? No, because I didn't, it wasn't military? part of a mass going home. You know, my, my, my role actually went away. And so they came to me and said, do you want to go back to an A school and sign up again for another term? Or do you want an early out? By that point, I was like, I knew I was, I was, I was better suited for civilian life. I, I, not that I don't respect, obviously I joined and I loved what I did, but I also knew my, my, one of my heart and it's still to this day, my wife hates it about me. I hate following orders. I'm just not that person. If you tell me to go do something I'm going to tell you, I'm going to ask why, <laughs> you know, I'm going to question. Right. And that's not the kind of person you want necessarily. Now, granted, my field in the, I was in, in the intelligence community that actually was okay. I just didn't feel like another two years of, of, of signing up and extending my service. I actually did tell him, I said, look, if you can find a way to get the waiver that you can take my, my existing college education and allow me a track into the, into OCS, I would do it because I would want to be an officer. I'm like, well, we're looking for engineers, not you English and psych majors. I'm like, okay, well, you know, you're, you like my psych major background when I joined up for military intelligence, but now you're saying it's not officer material. So if that's the case, then I'll take the early out. Because I actually had a couple of people that were uh, closer to me, some of my uh, uh, chiefs that were like, we really could use somebody like you. And I, and I was tempted. Don't get me wrong. I was really tempted. But I was like, if I'm staying in, I want to be an officer. And that means going through the OCS channel or officer, officer candidate school. 
And they just, at that point in time, were only looking at much more scientific or engineering kind of st- degrees of study versus more liberal art study. Yeah, that's uh, that's one thing about the Navy is that they're very specific about what they want in their officers. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, all, well, I'd like to believe all branches are. You don't want to just hand out commissions to anybody. Um, on the flip side, I sometimes wonder, did they just hand out these commissions to anybody? <laughs> some of the people, that, some of the officers are like, Whoa, boy. Yeah. <laughs> That's why every chief and master chief I ever had, senior chief, those were always the best guys because they'd been around long enough. They knew people and the young buck officers, the young, you know, the greenhorns that come in thinking they know everything. Those chiefs would just find a way to say it in just a way and put them in their place and yet not get in any trouble because they've been around so long. And so, well, so, some of the people who've been my managers in the past when they listen to this are going to be like, oh, is Walt talking about me when he says this? Well, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about other other managers I had. But there were managers I had I've had through my career that I'm like, how did this person become a manager? They are the worst. <laughs> that phrase, okay. Uh what pictures do you have? Right. Know, you know. Yes. So what 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 lucky bit of information did you come across that got you into the position you're in? Because it certainly wasn't intelligent. Oh no, yeah, right. It was not intelligence with some of them. Some of them it was. I've had some great managers, but um, but you and you have that in every walk of life. But I, I get the sense with the with Al and Fred here that I would love to uh, have served under either one of those two guys. They seem to care about their men. They are compassionate, yet they seem like they know their jobs really well, mm-hmm. and they know how to lead. Yeah. Well, unfortunately for us, Walt, we've got nothing left in this minute to talk about, and we are done with our 10 minutes. We are done, man. Well, it's it's bittersweet. I'm I'm glad we get to hand off to the next team, but at the same time, I hate that we're handing off to the next team. I, I do, too. There's that, there's that part where all the work, I said that kind of early on, I think even in the first episode, where all the work and you feel like, oh, what have I signed? If, almost like when you join up and you're in that boot camp, what have I done? What have I signed up for? Look at all of this. It's just... It's nothing but a heartache and pain and, 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 and all this work. And then all of a sudden you start clicking and cruising along and then you start going through the minutes and you realize, okay, all that hard work and preparation, all the notes, all the research, it all's paying off. You know, you're pulling up information, you're talking about it, you're getting, and now uh, we're done. And I kind of now feel, I feel like I'm fully invested in this movie. I'm nervous out of the podcast. I was, I was about to say the exact same thing. <laughs> and that's pretty scary, isn't it? Well, you and I have shared the same brain before. The Abbey Normal brain. <laughs> yes, more than once. <laughs> more than once, my friend. All right. Well, this is our last chance to say it. Before uh, before we actually get to it, is there anything else that you want to talk about in this minute? No, I, I'm looking forward to hearing where the guys after us pick up and, uh, and move forward. Uh, I think the only other comment that I've been holding off on, couldn't decide if I was going to make it, was if you're looking for a similar scenario with a different tone to it um in arrested development i think it was kind of towards the end of season two uh buster the crazy weird son uh goes and joins the army and a um a seal bites off like a you know his an actual seal Mm -hmm. animal bites off both of his arms and so he has hook hands and um it's handled completely differently (laughs) So if you want more of a comic tech take on that, 
Check out Arrested Development. But um, I'm looking forward to seeing how the guy's moving forward. What happened to his hand? It was a loose seal. No, I'd left Lucille. <laughs> not Lucille. It was a loose seal. No, I left that crazy woman. I'm not with Lucille anymore. <laughs> Is it Lucille 1 or Lucille yeah, oh, 2? Yeah, exactly. Lucille and, 2, right? <laughs> and the best scene is when they, he, they're riding along in the stair car and they're playing uh, Mr. Roboto. <laughs> And he jams his hook into the dashboard <laughs> and can't get it out. That Arrested Development may have been the funniest thing I ever watched on television. Those three seasons. I know they put out a four. Oh, the three seasons and of that apparently show. they put oh. out a fifth, which I didn't even know about. I haven't even watched it. Season season four was so horrendously well, one terrible. One through three, I have not seen a more perfectly cast sitcom in my life. I can't think of who anybody no. else would play any of those other characters or parts. They were just, it was that magic of television that sometimes happens. What a great way to end this episode to remind everybody that some other people deal with military hooks differently than this. Yes. When it comes to arrested development. Yes. And they never call it, he, ne- he didn't go to the army. He, he didn't join the army. It's army. He joined army and it's, Definitely a different take on the same same tragedy. So. It was a Lucille. No, it wasn't Lucille. <laughs> <laughs> so, as usual, we wrap this up in the in the <laughs> Wilder Ride way of yeah, doing things. We uh, we trick you into thinking they're not tricks; they're illusions. Tricks are something whores do for money. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And candy. (laughs) Now you've gotten the Wilder Ride treatment to wrap up. (laughs) This is what we normally do. (laughs) Sorry, folks. We held it together for all of nine and a half minutes. But by the time we got to the very end, uh, well, it is what it is. We kind of like, it's like the end of a Mel Brooks movie. I feel like we've just spilled across multiple sets. We really did. I I felt like we... We've just gone through three different shows in 30 seconds. (laughs) All right. So let's go ahead and wrap up. If people are interested in some... Wild, uh, wilder kind of podcasting. Where can they go? Well, <laughs> tell you where to go. Let me uh, tell you where to go. <laughs> go to any podcatcher, the podcatcher of your choice, and find us as the Wilder Ride. We are on uh, the Apple Podcatcher thing. We're on Stitcher. We're on all that stuff. Or you can go to our website, thewilderride.com, and find us there and listen to the episodes. And you can also check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash the wilder ride. Follow us there. And then immediately after you hit the follow button, another button's going to pop up that says join our listeners group. So join the listeners group. And that's got all kinds of information on our show, other stuff we're working on. Uh, folks in the group post all kinds of cool stuff. And it's no politics, no crazy other stuff that makes us mad. It's just good fun. And don't forget, you can follow this podcast and learn a whole lot more about this particular project, this collaboration, by going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, your your podcatcher of choice, and subscribing. Don't forget to take a second to rate and review and share. You can go to the bestminutes.com website to learn a little bit more about the teams and the project. And of course, if you feel like being part of the discussion and maybe learning a little bit more, or maybe we forgot something, or maybe we went down a rabbit hole that you didn't understand, or you can't believe we couldn't have figured out something like why the clouds were in this particular minute. Go to Facebook and join the listeners group for this particular project. It's called Butch's Place, the best years of our lives, Listener's Cafe. 
If you're a Twitter user, you can follow the project at The Best Minutes. And don't forget, as we mentioned earlier, moviesbyminutes.com is the website for all of the Movies by Minutes group. There's 170 other Movies by Minutes podcasts out there, at least as of the time of this recording. And who knows, you might find a movie you didn't realize was being covered with this kind of detail and having this much fun breaking it down a minute at a time. And I can tell you this, even if that movie has been out for, or that episode or that podcast or that season is three, four, five years ago, and you interact, those folks, if that project is still active, they will respond. Folks are listening to the Rocky Minute for the very first time, and they're you know three seasons in. Folks are listening to the Indiana Jones Minute for the first time, they're four seasons in. There's a lot of folks out there that are uh, actively listening and, and talking with and engaging with their followers and subscribers. So don't think like, oh, that was four years ago. I don't want to sh- share your comments. Trust me. It's how Walt and I became friends with so many of these groups by listening to their podcasts and then interacting with them on social media. Yeah, I was going to say, if you're listening to the Rocky Minute podcast and you send them a note, Doug will respond. D- Doug will be responding. <laughs> yes, it will not be Jason. Jason may respond next Christmas. <laughs> Doug will respond. Oh, goodness gracious. I, can you tell we don't want to sign off? <laughs> no, I know. We're having way too much fun. Yeah. Well, and we, we're, we're about to sit down and talk about our upcoming season tomorrow. Yes. So. Yes. You and I have to figure that crap out. All right. Well, let's let everybody get back to their Friday or whenever you're listening to this. But if you are listening to it daily as these, as these episodes drop, don't forget to come back Monday. As the Rocketeer Minute, now we hand the baton off to that group. They've got the next 10 minutes. And come on back for another episode of the Best Minutes Podcast. Man, I feel like these guys, I'm sad to leave. I know, it's kind of tough. It's uh, like, what was, what was your line? It's, uh, I'm, I'm nervous out of the podcast. You're nervous out of the podcast. It's such a comfortable place. Nervous out of the season. Yes. Jim, do you still like us? Still, can we can we do season five? Well, is Jim doing season five? <laughs> I don't know. I guess we got to wait to find that out. Hey, Joe, you better hurry up out there because she's taking off soon. Right, thanks. Come on, Taylor. That's really what this medium is bringing us to or bringing you know back to the well i'm trying to (laughs) i mean the way he said i could drive a car i mean hold on freaking dog (laughs) go to facebook and join the listeners uh, the listeners page for this (laughs) page